if this is new to you and if you're terrified, that's okay. Just like grab on with everything you can and hang on for the ride, you're gonna be okay. Welcome to From the Front, a podcast about how adults seek community and why that's so important. Today on the show, we have Kathleen Hansen. Kathleen Hansen is the artistic director of the San Diego Chorus, the San Diego Women's Chorus, and the Sun Harbor Men's Barbershop Group. Um, I'm sure in uh, addition to many other things, but thank you so much for being here. (laughs) You bet. Glad to be here. Um, So the first question that everyone gets uh, is, where are you from and did you have a musical childhood? Like what was, how did you, how did you get to where you are now? (laughs) Great. I grew up south of San Francisco in a small town called Cupertino, which you might have heard of because that's the home of Apple Computer. I have. (laughs) Interestingly enough, um, I was born the same month and the same year as Apple Computer. So we grew up side by side. So Cupertino was this kind of small town and then between the time I was born through the time I graduated high school, we became this tech center of Silicon Valley. So it was very just kind of like your standard suburban life. But then we had this um, influx of stuff happening, like really exciting technology movement, um, lots of folks immigrating to be part of it. So um, the culture of the town I was in was really neat and really changing as I grew up. My family was pretty musical. Nobody in my immediate family studied music. Mm -hmm. I do have an uncle who is um, and was a music teacher as well as his kids. My grandfather was also a music teacher for a while, but he was also a farmer and also, you know, did a lot of things. So music was kind of, it was always there. We had a piano. Um, I have a video of me when I was probably one year old with a baton directing my family in song. So <laughs> it was just kind of what we did, right? We would we would sing on road trips um, and in church and in school, we did have music um, in school, which was really cool. So I kind of learned music alongside other things you learn as a child. It was just kind of a natural part of my life. Oh, that's so cool. I'm always so envious of people who had musical families. Um, my family, like the joke in my family is that they can play the radio. Uh, nice. <laughs> and then there's me who's like, I love writing and singing and, you know, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. That's really cool. <laughs> so how did you, um, how did that incorporate into your like schooling? So you had like good uh, music teachers. Did you, did you play a primary instrument going all the way through school or how did that work? Yeah, it was kind of meandering actually. So my sister was a piano player. Mm-hmm and took lessons and did and then it was self-taught um oh that's just like the, like, god of, company, the god the high of musicians <laughs> madrigal group when she wanted to or whatever yeah my dad and my two brothers play trumpet my mom plays guitar oh wow <laughs> and my extended family whole bunch of string players my, my dad's side of the family string players so i think the first instrument i ever played around with was a piano because we had one mm-hmm. um the first instrument anybody put in my hand was a violin, um, but I didn't get very far on that. And then in school, around fourth grade is when they started offering like the after school program. Oh, cool. So twice a week I went. And I mean, to be totally honest, at, um, especially at that time, it, as is it 
is the case now still a lot of instrumental playing was very gendered mm-hmm. so it was kind of like do you want to play flute or you want to play clarinet you know that's what it felt like my options are plus i was kind of short so trombone was yeah. you know probably not i understand <laughs> i i wanted to play cello and bass and they were like no 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 let's play right. the violin <laughs> so they're like you can have one of these one of these wind instruments yeah. so i played flute like fourth fifth sixth through through like middle school mm-hmm. But my brothers played trumpet, and they were in the marching band, and I started to feel like this very delicate instrument, at least that I thought at the time, didn't really fit with me and what I wanted to do. So around eighth grade, I picked up the trumpet, nice. and I was like, hey, brothers, teach me how to play. And um, So that's what I played through high school. When I went to college, I did not know. I didn't know that what what I wanted to do. I didn't know I wanted to be a musician. Same. <laughs> but I was like, I'm gonna join the marching band because I'm gonna have like a hundred instant friends, right? That's it's a very easy way to just meet people. So I grabbed my trumpet and I went on a road trip with my mom down like the coast of California. I was like, well, I'm gonna go to a state school. It seems to fit the budget. <laughs> and. Uh, I wanted to go away for a college experience. It just seemed like the thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. Drove down, had a marker on all the schools that had a marching band. Did not realize that Long Beach actually meant LA, like greater LA. Mm-hmm. Didn't even stop. I was like, I cannot handle the cars and the <laughs> air here. I was like, just keep driving. We did not go look at the campus at all. Came down to San Diego. Decided on San Diego State, joined the marching band. During my first year, I was kind of like, I feel like I want to teach. I don't really want to know, I don't know what, maybe English. I mean, I'd had some, I'd had some good teachers in my life, mm-hmm. and I thought that seems like something that I might enjoy doing. Um, but one day, it was like, I don't know, I was a freshman, and I was sitting around with my section leader, probably right before band started, and he goes, you know, you should consider studying music education. And I'm like, I don't I don't think I'm that good. Like I, I've literally only been playing for four and a half years. Mm-hmm. I've never taken lessons. And he's like, if I can do it, you can do it. And the end of that semester, I found myself auditioning for the music program. So I joined as a music ed major specializing in trumpet. Makes perfect sense that I'm a choral director now, right? Oh, it totally does. <laughs> That's super interesting. I feel like we have a very similar introduction to studying music education because I I went to university to study creative writing uh, and I'd never sung a day in my life. And then I joined all of the choirs and got in choirs. And then I graduated two years later and was like, well, it looks like I'm going back for another degree. And everyone like, especially when you hear musicians talk, you're like, I should not be here, <laughs> especially if they've done it from really young. <laughs> I imagine like, that was a I started when I was four and I received this yep. and this and the merit and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. And yeah, I was definitely not one of those. Um, but I, you know, I was given really great opportunities. And even when I was, I don't know, I was not, I was not a super outgoing kid. I was just kind of average, mm-hmm. but people, my teachers kept putting me in leadership positions and they're like, hey, you should go be, you know, section leader. I'm like, I, oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. And I felt um, very empowered by the adults in my life who would just give me these responsibilities that I didn't really know what I was in for. And I think that that really helped um, me with, you know, people skills and learning how to teach and learning what other 
what makes other people tick and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I graduated with a music ed degree in trumpet, um, got my credential right after that, spent the next 10 years teaching in schools, primarily high school, but also middle school and a little bit of college. Like I was the director of the, um, the varsity band, which mm-hmm. is the women's basketball band for a few years. So athletic bands, that was pretty cool. And went back to get my um, master's in conducting under um, a very influential teacher of mine who had been the, the like wind ensemble director. I was really glad that I got that in right before he retired. Oh, I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I had kind of ended up um, teaching, you know, when, you're, when you get thrown into a new profession as a young teacher, you usually have to teach everything. Yep. So I was teaching band and color guard and music tech and jazz band and choir and, you know, like name them. They all just kind of piled up. Oh, I yeah. You get that certification. Technology. And then in my second gig, I had to learn like bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> Which are so weird. That tuning. Especially just... <laughs> in the morning. Yep. I would, not, I would not recommend that. Fortunately, I brought somebody in who yeah. was like an actual expert on that. Mm-hmm. But oh my goodness. Waking up to bag, bagpipes is whoo. <laughs> but during that time, I started singing with the Sweet Adeline Chorus. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I had a good friend who was highly accomplished in the barbershop world and, and um, ended up joining this group in like 1998, which is the San Diego Chorus, which I now direct. Oh, nice. Full circle moment. Yeah, absolutely. I had so many of those. It was kind of incredible, actually. Yeah. So um, how did you get from teaching just like a smorgasbord of things in public education to teaching adults? Whew. All right. So I started <laughs> teaching right around 2000 by the time I had my credential. And I had taught like a little bit of church choir and I joined this uh, chorus, the San Diego chorus, which is highly competitive. As a matter of fact, right after we, right after I joined, they won the international competition in 2001. Wow. Which is like in a giant arena in front of, you know, nine, nine or 10,000 people. It was no big it deal. Was no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> and um, because of my involvement there, plus the fact that I was a teacher, a few years into my career, I got this phone call from the local men's barbershop chapter. And they're like, hey, we're losing our director do you want to come direct us? And I was like, I don't really want to do that, but you know what? I will come be your interim director. That was March of 2006. (laughs) I'm still there. (laughs) So that was kind of my first adult ensemble, like legit adult ensemble. And then 10 years into my um, teaching career, I got very, very ill and was pretty much housebound for two years, Mm -hmm. more or less. And, um, kind of had to reinvent my career because I couldn't do the teaching thing anymore. It was too hard on my body and started kind of like picking up gigs as musicians do, right? Oh, you yeah. Musicians, what are your jobs? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your job? So um, I started teaching some voice lessons like and some other just random ukulele, other instruments and things like that. And um, all this time when I could, I was still working with the San Diego chorus. Mm -hmm. I'd been their assistant director. I became their associate director. I was still working with my men's chorus so I could get out like for a couple hours a time, a few days a week and kind of started building my skills. Mm -hmm. And over the time I'd been to a ton of seminars, right? Learning how to work with um, not just young people, but now in the adult world. 
the, the um, Barbershop Harmony Society, which used to be SPBSQSA, and the Sweet Alliance, they're very into education. So there's a lot of folks who do that. So I'd been going to these seminars and things, and then um, opportunities tend to appear, like when I need them. And one of the next opportunities that appeared for me was a group called the Tremble Clefts, and it was a therapeutic organization, a singing organization for mm -hmm. people with Parkinson's and their care partners. Mm -hmm. So I, um, as I started to kind of be able to be a little more functional in my life, I ended up directing them for a few years. And um, what, amaz what an amazing community, right? So, I mean, yeah, they're there for the music, but they're really there for the camaraderie and the support. Yeah. And obviously there's vocal therapeutics involved but they also perform mm -hmm. like all over at mostly assisted living centers but also at like the veterans center and all sorts of community events so really kind of seeing the impact that that had on those members of the organization was pretty profound mm -hmm. all the while I was still singing with the San Diego chorus and feeling the impact it had on my life so then a handful of years ago I guess it was 23 14, I want to say, mm -hmm. one of my friends um, from the barbershop world emailed me and was like, hey, the San Diego Women's Chorus is looking for an assistant director. And I didn't know too much about the organization. I think I'd heard them like a number of years ago. And I was like, eh, maybe I should look and see what this is about. <laughs> so I found some videos on YouTube and I was like, well, this is cool. This could be cool. But then I went and I looked at the website and I checked out their mission statement. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, this, <laughs> these are my sorts of people. Yeah. Um, and I really just kind of fell in love with the way music is used specifically in this organization to encourage creativity and inspire diversity and in social action, um, still while also loving what my other ensembles were doing for all of the different reasons that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I see all these different organizations that I've been part of, and while their mission statements are all a little bit different, they're still enriching the quality of lives of participants and audiences through music and through excelling, mm -hmm. you know, at, at different levels. Uh, everybody wants to do it a little bit better. Nobody wants to show up and just kind of be like barely making their way through yeah. it. So whether or not they're looking to be competitive and perform or just entertain an audience, there's a great deal of self-improvement there. And the whole idea of lifelong learning really appeals to me. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's been modeled to me by my family. My grandma, who is 100 this year. Wow. Uh, for example. <laughs> Happy birthday, somewhere grandma. Under 80th birthday, <laughs> yeah. Somewhere around her 80th birthday, this is the non-musical side of the family. She's like, I think I'll learn to play piano. And wow. she bought herself a keyboard and like a bunch of beginning piano books. And so it's just like, this is something I do in life, right? Mm -hmm. I, I help, I prove myself. I help the people around me improve. We do these journeys together. And it's just all really appealing to me. Would you say you have a very specific music philosophy, given that the, the majority of your like adult interactions have been community choruses that are very purpose driven? <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true. But, you know, I think about the number of hours of those interactions that have been spent in rehearsals versus the other, the other things, mm -hmm. like waiting in a green room or taking a break or having lunch together or traveling together. 
um, it's hard for me to separate the musical interactions sometimes from the personal interactions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm hanging out with people that I would never have touched in my social life. And I don't mean that in a negative way, just like, would I have crossed paths with so many people who have dissimilar interests, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I've never joined a, you know, crafting group, yet I'm hanging out with people who spend the other 70% of their thought when they're not thinking of music doing that. Mm -hmm. So as far as musical philosophy, I mean, everybody should do it. (laughs) I'm a big fan of, you know, whether it's listening to it or or making music, I feel like we have this thing that's out there and it's part of society and everybody can appreciate it and it's a thing that we can come together around you know like coming together around a warm fire yeah and it kind of it really does provide a normalizing factor for people who in many ways are very very different Mm -hmm. I like that I like that a lot (laughs) so given that you have had this sort of community experience where you found connections and friendships that you wouldn't have normally had how does that influence the way that you interact with your ensembles to try to because obviously once you're in a position of leadership you know kind of what goes on um but you know there are more connections happening amongst other people than you can probably be aware of but like how do you try to try to approach your position of leadership yeah I think that's something that is a challenge for directors of adult groups Mm -hmm. Uh, when I first started with my two barbershop groups, I was always the youngest person in the room. Oh, that's exactly where I am now. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but my entry into the world of teaching music was into a very patriarchally driven mm-hmm. marching band, competitive, standing around with everybody in suits and ties, who all towered over me by at least one foot. Mm-hmm. That was very um, militaristic in its history with lots of yelling and lots of you screwed up so you need to do Mm push-ups, right? That lens of um, first learning a new way to be and do in the competitive marching band world, that culture has shifted quite a lot Mm -hmm. in the last 20 years Um, as the generations have turned over and as education has become a little bit more trauma-informed, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was definitely, I guess, a, a period of negotiation of learning how to be in command and in charge without being domineering. Mm-hmm. Because that domineering fear factor is, I don't know about you and when you went through school, but when I went through school, that was a big part of how I was taught. Yep. <laughs> it was there was a fear factor and there was this shield around every director that elevated them into a position where they were a a little bit untouchable. Like even as you started to get to know them a little bit, there was still this incredible um, discipline and like a force to be reckoned with. But I did have a couple of really good teachers when I was younger who, one was my middle school band director Mm -hmm. and she was just about to retire And she was a presence, but she was also very kind and found that line between discipline and fear. And I feel (laughs) like it's a good line to write. (laughs) If if 
you have that old school look where ev everything is about fear, then it's really hard to access our true authentic selves. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be vulnerable and produce art if we're just afraid that somebody's going to scream at us or <laughs> throw something or whatever. Usually when I throw things, it's out of comedy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, I also had, I just took one year in, in, call, in uh, high school of choir. And the director was just kind of a delightful person and would always have that like singer's lift. Mm -hmm. And it was such a stark contrast between the band world and the choir world. Because in the band world, the directors would often have that like, you know, angry pointing and throwing tantrums and the hair flapping around thing. <laughs> and this guy was like, I'm here to make you sing well. I would literally giggle because he had the most pleasant face. And he's like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, because this is, it's like, it's delightful. Like, what are you doing with your face? You're, you're making me do that with my face. Yeah. Which I think is one of the, you know, big differences. So I don't know if that helps. I mean, I try to ride that line then because mm -hmm. discipline is still important to me. When you've got a hundred people in a room, you can't have everybody talking at once. No, you really can't. Right? Like you can't, you can't do that. And I say it's, it's not because I'm on a power trip. It's because I want to give you the best experience that you can have. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I can't like, please don't interrupt my train of thought. So I will, I will be my very best for you. If you can, if we can have this like two way agreement, yes, I want your questions. Yes. I want your feedback, but I don't want to do it through fear and intimidation. Mm -hmm. I want to do it through, you know, okay. I hope that you all can see that I do know what I'm doing. Obviously we all have stuff to learn, but I feel like I've reached a level of competence and I'm like, if you will allow me my process, then I can also allow you yours and we can work together as adult humans. But certainly, um, I had a lot of really good experience when I was brand new to the field with the age thing mm -hmm. and trying to figure out like, how do I present? And I'm, I've, I've always been kind of young looking for my age anyway. Um, like how, how is it that I've been teaching for 20 years? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think there's been some good um, modeling in front of me as far as like, how to and how not to do mm -hmm. things. And I remember one of my very first interactions when I tried to use that fear and intimidation in front of some students, um, I kind of took a page from a master teacher's book and I you know, was standing on this hill and I yelled and this freshman boy said something very snarky in return, but it made me realize that what I was doing was completely ineffective. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not a way to get to people. And I felt like interacting with younger people, whether they're 14 or 17 or 13, they're still people with autonomy and Absolutely. who make decisions. So my, my teaching of people who are 13 very much mirrored my teaching of people who are 22, very much mirrored my teaching of people who are 80, because I feel like people and where they are in life they, they walk into a room with experiences mm -hmm. and intelligence and different backgrounds. And I think if we can honor that and use that to our advantage, then we can have a really great environment that cultivates learning and fantastic music, frankly. Oh, absolutely. So given, <clears throat> goodness gracious, um, given as much focus as you have on power dynamics, um, 
and really understanding the people you're singing for, especially in a community chorus, like you're the face of the organization. Um, that is that is usually just how it ends up. You are the PR at all times, pretty much. Um, how would what do you who do you feel that you are on the podium? Like, what is your role <clears throat> within the ensemble, given this culture that you're trying to create? I think all of us want to feel authentic and that we're putting our best selves forward. But I'm also acutely aware of the persona ph phenomenon. Mm. And certainly <laughs> when I stand in front of a group, um, when I stand in front of an audience, um, I feel like I do step into that power of conductor, mm -hmm. meaning um, it gives us, it gives these singers a singular focus. You know, it gives a center for the energy. It gives a direction for us to unite. And uh, in my women's chorus, we talk about I love that phenomenon where you're just like gazing at each other <laughs> while you're making music and um that's a much better phrase I just tell my choir that they have to look at each other awkwardly like you need to make eye contact and you need to feel the song and you can just embrace that awkwardness but you're there with that other person <laughs> right right yeah. so what I say is that we have this I love but if it's too intense for you to look at my eyes because that is very hard for some people mm -hmm. you can look right past me you can look at my hands just like know that I am here yeah everything is like a um like a lens mm -hmm. that kind of comes through where i stand as conductor whoever else is there and kind of shoots out there's also been some great no jokes about that shoots out my back yeah. <laughs> to where the audience is and then when i'm interacting with the audience speaking with the audience i'm also very aware that i am a representative of the organization mm -hmm. so uh, i try to reflect that i don't feel like i'm putting on a character at all I just feel like I am taking my best self in the context of that particular room at that particular time. And that might be a very different feeling if we're standing, I, I'm remembering right after the incident in or Orlando mm -hmm. happened, we gathered around the pride flagpole in downtown or in Hillcrest in San Diego. And we delivered one of our street songs. And at that moment, I, told the story of how that song came to be. And I was very aware that the audience needed something at that time. Mm -hmm. And I just did my best to provide <laughs> what felt right to me. And it's a completely different thing than if we go into, for example, an assisted living center to, to perform classics yeah. for <laughs> your entertainment, <laughs> where, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna necessarily shy away from the hard stuff because everybody deserves to go on that ride and feel things. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to present a toe tapping, lighthearted performance, uh, I'm definitely gonna bring out some different things when I'm speaking than if it's a protest or a community event. Yeah, or absolutely. De depending on the theme of the performance as well, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd be terrible if they were all the same. <laughs> yeah, no, that probably would be a little tone deaf, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, so a more specific question to the San Diego Women's Chorus. Uh, I attended two, three of your rehearsals, I think. Um, and there was always a pink sheet moment. Can you explain what the pink sheet is and how that kind of <laughs> sure. that plays into your rehearsals? So uh, the San Diego Women's Chorus has a very mission centered approach. And pink sheet is a moment of focus. And it's called pink sheet because there are these words. And for some reason, and I don't know the history of this, it was always printed on a piece of paper 
that was pink. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I don't know, like, I don't think the statement, I mean, you could probably call it like our opening statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that it actually has a title other than this is something that is important to the ensemble to recite and get us all focused as we start anything we do. And by anything we do, the board recites this at the beginning of their meetings. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I just like sneak preview here. I know that as we have a develop a greater understanding of gender, there's a pretty good possibility that, that some of the language will change mm-hmm. just a little bit as we go and we talk about siblings rather than sisterhood and things like that. But as we get started, we say we are a sisterhood of musicians coming together to respect and honor each other, the music and the mission of the, the San Diego Women's Chorus. And then we repeat the mission, which is through musical expression, the San Diego Women's, women's Chorus encourages women's creativity, celebrates diversity and inspires social action. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little tag on the end that says that we demonstrate our commitment to these values through our behavior at all course-related functions, and that it ends with come for the music, stay for the heart. And um, while there's definitely a little bit of, like, triggering of religious recitation. It definitely sounds like the, with the Nicene Creed or whatever it is. Yeah. Something. The sentiment is very lovely. Mm -hmm. And the idea of let's all remind ourselves why we're here and everybody comes for different reasons, Mm -hmm. but here is a central thing that we're all going to respect each other. We're all going to respect the music. We're going to honor our roots because the San Diego women's chorus started with, you know, a dozen lesbians standing around in a living room around a piano and singing kind of the classic women's song uh, movement songs and um, grew from there. And that legacy is important to all of us. Absolutely. I know in my course, um, in our mission statement, we we definitely always make sure to highlight uh, honoring our lesbian heritage just Mm -hmm. to make sure that people know where we've come from and what we still stand for even though obviously the scope of what we stand for has expanded it is not it has not been left behind i feel you know we had a a couple years ago because our our demographic is very mixed Mm -hmm. as far as um lesbian straight bi pan everywhere like a few years ago we were having a meeting we have an annual meeting or maybe twice a year mm-hmm. and that came up do we still want on our website and in every single bit of material for our course to say a lesbian identified feminist chorus mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly people said yes right. um because of those roots right because of knowing how important it is to stand together um creating a safe space and i think um when I when I took the job over, I had the opportunity. The founder still lives in town, and she comes to our performances. Oh, wow. And had the opportunity to sit down and interview her. And she said, you know, when I started it, it was a women's chorus. The lesbian aspect was just kind of default because those <laughs> were, like, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and so the um, women's right-centric feeling of the organization, mm-hmm. we're talking about the era of the Equal Rights Amendment. We're talking about, you know, people dealing with Roe versus Wade and right reproductive rights Absolutely. and all of those equality things that I think our predecessors have fought so hard for and that we continue to fight for today, even as we expand our understandings of gender, having that 
space um, that was created then and that we've been cultivating, I think has been really important. Mm -hmm. So as you navigate trying to create this culture, um, how do you navigate trying to cater to different levels of musicianship? Because obviously you want everyone to feel like they succeed. If you have like a music major or a professional, they're like, yes, thank you. I've got it. Um, versus you have someone <laughs> <laughs> who is coming to acquire for the first time and is really right. is joining for the community in, in a much deeper way than maybe say the professional musician would who, who right. kind of knows what they're in for. How do, you, how do you play with that kind of division between different levels? I, mean, and... I feel like my entire profession has been that. Yes. <laughs> you know, even dealing with young folks, you're supposed to have these, you know, classes that are tiered to different levels. Mm-hmm. Nah, oh. that doesn't happen. <laughs> Music school teaches you how to be a musician. It certainly does not teach you how to be a teacher or director. It's just impossible. Right. You can't. We had, we had a great education program, but it was still, you just can't do it in that number of years. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I try to like, I try to speak to multiple levels where it's a little bit of something for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I try not to dumb it down. They say that if you teach to the like lowest common denominator in the room that you're going to lose the top and if you teach to the top you're probably going to lose the bottom Mm -hmm. so I try to hang out in the middle but then like reach up and down from there yeah and I feel very lucky that um this particular group the women's chorus but my other groups as well have attracted very good singers Mm -hmm. so there is a bit of like if this is new to you and if you're terrified, that's okay. Just like grab on with everything you can and hang on for the ride, you're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And then a few years ago, um, I decided that we should have learning tracks for everything we do. Because yes, I want people to, le- to learn to read music, absolutely. But if that's going to be in the way of people having a good experience mm-hmm. and memorizing like a dozen songs for a show, we all learn different ways and we all have different backgrounds. So the people who read music really well may or may not use those. And the people who don't read music or who have visual impairments, they're going to need those tracks. Mm-hmm. So I feel like little things like that have helped level the playing field. And then often if there's somebody who's really struggling, we'll assign them to kind of sit by somebody who is very seasoned. Yeah. And if like the baseline of the women's course is you have to be able to match pitch. But that doesn't always mean that you can hold four-part harmony, right? Yep. It doesn't so mean that singing back a pitch that you've heard is as easy as singing a different part. <laughs> In a part <laughs> with a lot of other people and stuff going on. So we'll have a person who's assigned to be like, point up if you need to go a little higher. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, just take a breath and listen and try again. And we've had some really pretty amazing success. People who are uh, barely hanging on. To now they're like, I got this. Like maybe they still could use a little extra support, but that is such a parallel to how we interact with each other socially, mm-hmm. right? So some people are going to need uplifting at some point, and some people are going to be able to help at some point, and some people are not going to be able to contribute too much at one point, but they might be able to contribute a lot at another time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's just... You got to know who's in the room, got to respect who's in the room. And I truly believe that adults like to be pushed a little bit. They do. They eat it up. They're like, thank you for holding me accountable for this thing. (laughs) 
even if one rehearsal does not go so yeah, well, the they next might be one kicking will. and screaming <laughs> yep. at that moment. But weeks later, they're like, thank you so much for pushing me through that. Absolutely. I did not think I was going to be able to do it, but look what we just did. I think in- and that to me is one of the best things saying, we're going to do this. And it was like, what? How, how are we even going to do that? And then we do it and we get to the other side of it. And we're like, Let's do it again. <laughs> Maybe after a few weeks off. Yeah. They, the rest is important. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I say this all the time. I did not come up with this. I just like to share it. Stress plus rest equals growth. Yes. And I, in everything I do, stress plus rest equals growth. And if you're missing out on either part of that, the stress or the rest, then you're pro- you're not going to have growth. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you've kind of explained that, like, uh, the San Diego Women's Course primarily, but in working with different groups of different levels, um, how do you manage... I feel like, <clears throat> a backup. Um, there's a stigma, I feel like, that community choruses carry, really community ensembles, community bands, community orchestras, community singers. They're always like, well, there's professional, which is really good, and then there's community, which it looks like they're having fun. You know, like there's always this like little jab at community choruses. Like, yes, yeah, I not... totally don't subscribe to that and I just, at all. I was wondering like how <laughs> you navigate that. Because when I, with my community choruses, it's like, we're going to make the best freaking music that we're going to make. You just got to work and I'm going to work and we're going to get through this together and we're going to put on a good show and you're not going to think that we're a community chorus. So like, um, and especially Tucson is a huge choral town. There's like, you throw a rock and you hit a a chorus and a lot of them are professional or whatever and they have their highbrow classical music. Um, And it's just like, that's not us. So like one, don't use that comparison. But how do you feel like you not equalize the groups, but but cater to, to different levels of musicianship? Like, like, what is your goal for each ensemble? I mean, I feel like there's an audience perspective there and there's mm-hmm. a member perspective there, mm-hmm. right? And I think about, I mean, I, I have a ton of respect for all different types of music. Oh, yeah. But am I more likely to go sit and listen to a group that I have an emotional connection with, who's delivering a message, who is singing very good music that might not be pristine, but pretty darn good? Mm-hmm that aligns with my beliefs or my sense of aesthetic. I personally am not a huge fan of like going to a two hour avant-garde performance of music that I can't really follow in the same way as something that has like a melody and a beat. Yeah. Like, am Great I gonna do experimental naps. music? Yeah. Am I going to do experimental music sometimes? Sure. But by and large, if you look at what I want to say average people enjoy making Mm -hmm. and average people enjoy listening to, and I do not mean average is mediocre. I just mean there's a bulk of people out there who love to turn on the radio and who love to dance and who love to sing along to folk songs Mm -hmm. and who love to tap their toe. Um, they're not really going to care if you're not if you're doing this cluster chord French piece. They're not. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> no. And, and they might be like, "Hey, that was neat to hear for one song of the concert." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I don't understand elitism in music. Mm-hmm. Who are the Who are the people in music making the most money? The ones who are putting out those pop songs that mm-hmm. have three or four notes and a repeated rhythm. Now, some of them are certainly more 
complex than that. You get your Nine Inch Nails and you've got like yeah. people who are like legit, like really amazing musicians who are also pop artists. But that's what I'm saying. Like we can elevate ourselves as a community group. We can perform with excellence. We can perform with heart. We can perform with a great deal of communication. And we still get a standing out every time. You know? People, the performers love it. Their friends and families love it. And what a great way to connect with the community. And then everybody feels good about it at the end, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know if that answered your question or if I got too meandery. Oh, no, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like music over, like, forever, as like from the beginning of making noises that sounded like music, was so ingrained in society. Mm-hmm. So why do we drive any sort of wedge between musician and everyone else? Yeah. Everyone is an expert listener of music, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Everyone who has that ability to hear has been listening to music their entire lives and knows what's good. And has an opinion about what's good and can hear the heart and the story and can hear if it's like bad tone (laughs) or out of tune or whatever. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, why not take the group that we have, the people in the room right now and make them the best they can be. Mm -hmm. Trauma class, when I was directing them, we cut a we cut a holiday album. That's awesome. You know, it's sold it to our friends and families because. I think everybody has something beautiful to offer in that regard. Mm -hmm. So this is slightly diverging, uh, but it's coming back. Um, Do you have, I'll just tell you what my, my two questions are Um, is what is, what are some of your dream pieces um, either to perform or in general? Um, And then how do you think about the dream pieces you have in terms of programming? So one can relate I, to the other, or it could not. <laughs> I have a really, I don't know, I don't know if I have like a rare relationship to that question, mm-hmm. because I, I don't really have like a bucket list of songs yeah. or anything like that. I feel like there was, this, there was such a big disconnect when I was studying music, and we had to take our um, choral literature class, and we had to take our band literature yep. class. And then I went out into the real world and all of those pieces were inaccessible to the people that I was working mm-hmm. with, you know, like I wasn't going to perform various Requiem with a bunch of people who didn't even like sign up to be in choir Yeah, or didn't like had never sung in harmony ever, you know, and same thing with the band, you know, these, some of these kids had their instrument handed to them at the beginning of the year or maybe like lived in an apartment complex with three generations where they couldn't exactly practice at home, Mm -hmm. right? So have I heard songs and been like, yes, I want to do that? Sure. But I I literally don't have a list. That said, things come my way and I've learned to say yes before I'm ready. Mm -hmm. So last year I pulled together people from different choruses that I know and other people from the community. And I prepped a chorus to um, sing Beethoven's Nine. And that was, like, I, had, I totally took a German crash course, called a friend. I was like, can you help me through this pronunciation? Yeah. And I did that thing. It was amazing. Um, if I had anything that was like, 
a grand dream, it would be to conduct a full orchestra and chorus. And navigate the terrible, terrible thing that is the full score. (laughs) No, but see, that's my background. I love that. Throw me a score that's got 50 staves on it. Like, bring it. Yeah. That, that, that's where I came from. The closest I ever came to that was actually a really amazing experience. It was, um, I want to say 2007, and the Sweet Adeline Chorus was asked to participate with the local gay men's chorus because mm-hmm. they were, at that time, they were very similar sizes. And we did the Susan B. Komen, G. Komen? Susan G. G. Komen. Yeah. Sing for, Sing for the Cure. Oh, cool. Which is an oratorio in like, I don't know, a dozen parts or something. And I didn't know there was again, an oratorio. It's awesome. I have to look at it. Saying yes before I was ready, I was asked to take this project on between me and um, the director of the course at the time. Um, and the gay men's course in San Diego, they like were together and they separated and then now they're back. Mm-hmm. So this was, I think that this was, I can't remember when this was in the history, but at the time it was a big group and we were a big group and we were like, let's do this huge thing, which was absolutely not barbershop, right? Yeah. Um, but the, that chorus, the San Diego chorus has also like performed with the, with the San Diego symphony. Mm-hmm. So it has a cross genre thing happening, but I pretty much asked everybody I knew if they would come be a, donate their time and be an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And so we set up and we had, you know, we had this pit orchestra. It wasn't a full orchestra, but it was still like, I want to say 20 something people. Oh, maybe. that's pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was good, like maybe 25. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at the program, but it was still a good like 25 piece orchestra. And like, pff, I don't know how many people were on stage singers, like 150, 200. Nice. It was big. It was big. And um, we switched off every other um movement and that was very fulfilling for me because I could I could use my baton I could use my instrumental background mm-hmm. and my singers and that uh that sort of experience is something that I would just I would love to do something like that again yeah yeah so how do you what do you want your audiences to take away from your shows regardless of what choir it is that you are directing yeah. I want them to walk away with a feeling. And what that feeling is, is going to be really dependent on the show. But I want them to feel like we've given them something. Mm -hmm. Something to think about, something to feel, something to tap their toe with, along with, but also that it's been musically fulfilling at a high quality level. That they're not distracted by you know, errors or Mm -hmm. to me, the highest elevation of music isn't perfection for perfection's sake, but it's creating an environment that is free of distractions musically that everyone can then step into the emotion and the rise and the fall of it and kind of ride the wave of programming. Mm -hmm. I, I personally love, uh, maybe I have a love-hate relationship with programming. But, you know, as I'm putting a, a show together, I don't just pick a bunch of pieces I like, right? Like, I don't oh, know. Oh, I understand. Most, it is. Hopefully, hopefully yes. conductors are thinking about this in general. <laughs> I don't know how many audience members are aware of it. But from a programming perspective, I just love that kind of mm-hmm. storyline. Absolutely. 
of it goes back to your English background Mm -hmm. you know there's structure (laughs) structure to it and um and if it's done well they don't really necessarily see the structure oh that's the most beautiful part you're just like now you're crying I plan that (laughs) right like now now you're gonna cry and now you're gonna laugh and now you're gonna clap your hands and now you're gonna like dance Mm -hmm. there is a category when we talk about competitive barbershop and it talks about transcending technique yes i want you to have technique but i want that to be so so good that what we really are doing is not getting away in the way of that storyline and that musicality we want to transcend that and create a moment where everybody is experiencing that together as community and i think what a great thing as a community chorus that the audience feels part of that community. Absolutely. I never am like, hey, it's us and you. It's like, we are here together mm-hmm. experiencing this. You are part of us. If the audience was not there, we would just be singing into an open space. Have... Kind of like a rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> Have you felt this is what's contributed to your group's growth? Is that the community doesn't feel like it's something that they take part in every once in a while, but it's something that they're part of, even if they're not a singing member? Right. I mean, I wish I knew the answer to that a little bit more intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that, you know, at the end of every performance, I try to wander out near the exit so I can say hey to everybody mm-hmm. and have a one-on-one connection um, to cultivate that feeling of community. But it's definitely something that that I'm aware of, and it's definitely something that my team is aware of. So hopefully mm-hmm. in our communication, it feels it feels truly communal Mm -hmm. rather than performer audience or top down or and I'm sure you can feel it a little bit even if you don't get one-on-one you know like audience experience when you are watching your chorus watching the audience um for sure there's that that feeling where you're just like it went exactly as I planned and you see your singers feel it and the audience like you can tell the audience feels it because the singers are feeling it and then you're feeling it and it's just like and you're in between them right exactly having this thing and I I spent a number of hours yesterday looking through old concert footage um I'm really excited to say that the women's chorus has been invited to sing at ACDA oh awesome I know we were going to do it live and now it's going to be virtual mm-hmm. which is like oh, is this like, uh those, the national is this right? a national is ACDA that? or regional yeah, national ACDA. ACDA nice that's so awesome. there, there are three there are three gala courses that have been invited to do Ooh, a set so, yeah yeah so at this point we're each doing 15 minutes alone and then we're going to do a combined song awesome which we just settled on yesterday um but um Come on, what were we talking about? I totally just like jumped my own train of thought there, getting excited about it. Oh, so I was looking through old performances. Yeah. Because I need to to choose 15 minutes of footage from previous performances. And as a conductor, it's a little hard to like turn off the self critical part when you do that. Impossible, yeah. But every now and then I hit something, I was like, oh man, this was a good, this was so good. And look at the way, look at the way we're looking at each other. Mm hmm. And I, there's this one particular piece that I pulled out and it starts with like a soloist and a guitar player who's part of the chorus. Mm-hmm. And I can't see myself, but I can see the back of my head. And just the way that they're engaging with me and then looking at the chorus and saying that it's like everybody has this singular focus mm-hmm. and like we're all going to come together. And I, I miss that. It was hard. I, I totally got emotional yeah. watching some like, random 
you know, it seems like it's some folk pop song or something. And it's, it's hard not to, especially when you watch footage. Cause like you remember being there, but it's a very yeah. different experience to like, if there's a quiet moment and you like duck down a little bit to be like, remember y'all it's quiet. And then you see half the singers get really small and you're like, Oh, we <laughs> right. were so together. Like, and I didn't even engage. Yeah, mirror neurons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Right. And there was one, um, we were doing, um, still I rise. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Cause why not? not? It's so good. And it was one of those. And it was, I mean, it was absolutely rocking. And we had these two soloists that were just wailing away mm-hmm. and the whole chorus, mm, bah, mm, bah, mm, yeah. bah, mm, bah, clapping appropriately on two and four, which is always and a swaying with everyone at the right foot at the same time. And I was like, I'm so proud right, right now. <laughs> That's how I felt uh, my choir did. We did a 25th anniversary concert and it was like uh, we filled in with a whole bunch of like stories of perseverance from like choir members and paired them with things. Uh, And I remember doing It Takes a Village and just like coordinating it and everyone being like, we're going to make it to the end. Like we're going to make it. We are in sync. We are focused. We are memorized and we have got this. Like that sort of energy from your choir is insane. (laughs) That's great energy right there. Alrighty. Um, so I feel like you've touched on this a little bit, but my last two questions, which I ask everybody, um, uh, the first one is what does your ensemble mean to you or what do your ensembles mean to you? You're going to make me cry. Well, like, I mean, that's that, what I would, that's what would happen to me if I had to answer this that question. That is a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you think about the like, abstract idea of family mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about the details of like dysfunctional families across the world I'm yeah. talking about the abstract idea of family how you are there for one another and you support one another even if you fight sometimes right even it if always happens head sometimes um, you still have this goal you still have this community you still have this relationship to one another that means something Mm -hmm. and um when i got sick um in the late 2000 2008 Mm -hmm. or so um who was it that literally came over to my house and literally put food to my mouth Mm -hmm. to feed me it's my chorus members and not necessarily people who were like my closest friends there was a need and you know they were there and in my kitchen cooking soup and holding my head up and putting it in my mouth Mm -hmm. like that's and I see that with others as well you Um, never really know when you never really know how deeply choirs affect people until critical moments like that and then people who you've maybe said hello to have voice checked have like tried to engage with and have not responded are the first people who are like oh I will be there when tell me when right. I'll bring a truck I'll bring you know whatever it is absolutely absolutely or um people who I'm thinking of um unlikely friendships mm-hmm. unlikely relationships um the woman who is in a power chair who is I don't know how I don't know how old she is but very very wise mm-hmm. amount of old and um former student of mine who is now an adult the woman needed uh, someone who could pull her trailer chair mm-hmm. and 
the other person had a car that could pull it. And so now we have these two people who may have never had interactions with one another, mm-hmm. who now have a friendship. And I think something that makes friendship stronger is when you can do something like that for one another, you know? Absolutely. Without any expectation of mm-hmm. anything in return or payment. And I, that I, it's meaningful for me to see it happening whether or not I'm involved directly with that Absolutely. situation. If we are creating an environment that cultivates those sorts of moments, great. We have, um, we've all cried together. We've all laughed together. We've all experienced one another's joys and heartbreaks and seen people through, you know, widowhood and job changes and marriages and divorces and like name it. Yeah. We've, we've experienced it together and we all know that those things bring people closer together socially. And I think musically as well, because when you've opened that part of yourself to one another, how much more vulnerable can you be to make good, authentic music? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So last question, uh, which kind of relates in that vulnerability. Um, what advice do you have for some adult who thinks that their window for learning and participating in music has passed? Like they're just, they don't think it's for them anymore because they're too old or whatever it is. <laughs> too old, too busy, too not talented enough. Yep. Yeah, too inexperienced, too too much or social anxiety, too much trauma from when they were thirteen and their parent slash friend slash teacher told them to sing quieter. Or the number of elementary school kids you've you've heard stories of being told that they they don't have pitch so they can't sing and they can never do it. Exactly. Yeah. I love the idea of starting before you're ready. Mm-hmm. Being afraid and doing it anyway. I um, I find little lines of songs tend to pop out and take on their own meaning and life of their own. And I've, I've had a few of those in recent history that have really struck me. But one of them, we had a, we did demi-choruses where half the chorus learned mm-hmm. one song and half the chorus learned another song. And one of those songs was um, Alanis Morissette. And there's a line, I recommend biting off more than you can chew to anyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just so impacted by that. And I feel like the greatest successes I've had in my life have been when you kind of walk into something and you're like, I don't really know if I can do this, but I'm going to do it. Yes. Like apply for that job that I'm slightly underqualified for. When I learned that a lot of women don't get jobs because they don't apply for them because they don't have the credentials on the page mm-hmm. while there are a lot of men who walk in and they're like, I don't have those credentials, but I'm going to try anyway. Absolutely. I'm yes. like, I think I need to do that more often. Mm-hmm. I think I need to jump in. And so I would say that for other singers, like you don't know unless you've tried it. And we are here to help. We are here to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. We are not here to ridicule anyone. We're here to help you along with whatever it is you want to do and try. And I remember when I was looking yesterday at some of these old videos, one of my singers came in with like zero singing experience as even like 
maybe they sing along to the radio when when they're by themselves. Mm -hmm. And went from being this, like, I have absolutely no idea what's happening, and then I'm watching their performance, and they're, like, rocking out and singing the words, and I was like, that, that is amazing. And so don't wait. Do it before you're ready. And what a friendly place to do it. Oh, yeah. You can't really go wrong with the community chorus that has that has decided that they are your family. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> well, awesome. That part's important. <laughs> yes. The family component is important. <laughs> yeah. And whatever whatever words that you use for that, you know, chosen family, oh, yeah. family, community, whatever it feels like Sisterhood, for you. siblinghood, whatever it is. Absolutely. All of those things. Like, it's a choice. <laughs> And it's important to continue to cultivate that because in any dysfunctional family, you're going to have people slip up. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that, right? How do we maintain and guard that culture of you are welcome here? Absolutely. You are welcome here. Yes. <laughs> that was my <laughs> you, you choir experience. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much. This has been so great. I loved hearing about your experience. I think you bring something very specific to your ensembles, or at least in watching your rehearsals, I feel like you bring a very community-focused perspective that I've not seen in a lot of people. So I appreciate you taking the time to kind of talk about how you bring that to the table and, and why it matters to you. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me for another episode of From the Front. If you want to learn more about Kathleen Hansen, visit khansenmusic.com. Links for all Kathleen's ensembles are in the episode description, but be sure to catch the San Diego Women's Chorus holiday concert, We Are Lights. That's Saturday, December 12th at 7 p.m. on YouTube and Sunday, December 13th at 4 p.m. on Facebook. All times are in Pacific Standard Time. Lastly, if you know any great adult music educators whose voices absolutely need to be heard, please send me an email at fromthefrontpod at gmail.com or drop me a DM on Instagram or Facebook at fromthefront. That's it from me. Have a good weekend, y'all.